Welcome into the top of the key. My name is Kenneth Minogue, and on this episode, we're going to be covering games two and three of the conference finals of the NBA playoffs. Let's go. are coming in hot and heavy in this conference finals everyone playing every other day so since the last time we've done a podcast it's been both two and three games um or games two and three in both conferences have been played so we're going to start off in the west we're going to cover game two and three um before we move on to the toronto milwaukee series so golden state versus uh portland in game two uh, games two and three kind of went similar in terms of how they ebbed and flowed for the most of the t- for the most of the portions of the game. Uh, Portland was in the lead throughout for most of the second game two and for game three as well. Portland seemed to have the seemed to have this game in hold uh, in game three. In game two, we noticed that they had had a 17 point lead at their highest, holding out that to, all the way to halftime. Um, in that third quarter, though, we saw once again and we saw the trend from this Golden State Warriors team. It seems that despite the fact that they don't have Kevin Durant, despite the fact that they this team is a lot older and not necessarily um, quite as deep on paper as you would think as the previous iterations of this Golden of the Golden State Warriors um, championship team, such as a 2015 team or even the 2016 team that didn't win, necessarily win the ring but still got one that 73 won 73 games and everything. Despite not being as deep and despite having some more, a lot more age and a lot more miles and some of their older players, such as Andre Iguodala, um, such as Draymond Green, uh, such as Sean Livingston, they have been, they've always continued to find a way that in that third quarter, they can just turn it on in a snap. Um, in game two, it was really down to the scoring, uh, uh, to the scoring of of Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, uh, Stephen Curry especially keeping them in the Stephen Curry especially keeping them in the game with his ability to get into the paint and get into shots, something that is so different than what we usually think of him in the mainstream as this guy that just shoots it, just shoots it, just shoots it. Well, in general, in game two, in game two, he really did not shoot well from downtown. At least only four of fourteen got to the free throw line though eleven times and made uh, all eleven. Thirty-seven points, eleven of twenty-two from the field, eight assists, eight rebounds. Did commit six turnovers as well as Draymond Green with five turnovers but Draymond with his absurd stat line of 16 points 8 of 12 from the field 10 rebounds 7 assists and 5 blocks a fantastic game from him overall uh Clay Thompson as well 24 points 8 of 22 from the field but did make 4 of 8 from downtown and you notice once again throughout this uh, throughout, since the time that Ke- uh, that Kevin Durant has gone down the bench of the unit from the Golden State Warriors has really given um Every single reason that um, Steve Kerr would possibly need to have confidence in his backup unit. Not, it, it, I mean, obviously we know that Kevin Looney is going to pro- provide. He's going to crash the boards, and he's going to be smart on defensive. And also, and he had a fantastic game in Game Two: fourteen points, six of six from the field, seven rebounds, three of which offensive, two assists, and stealing a block as well in his twenty-nine minutes. Um, but so, but. Outside of him was where we thought that they were going to be lacking in terms of their provide, I mean, in terms of substitutes providing any 
sort of positive any sort of positive on their end and I, I yes you could look at plus minus and see that sean livingston jordan strevko and jordan bell and quinn cook were all negatives in game two and the plus minus however they provided at least what they provided was um, options on the offense and they made their shots at least. And they might not be the greatest defenders. They might not be able to keep go Portland in front of them, but, but they can just keep, if they can just keep the scoring up and they can run with Portland, then it makes it so then it may, really changes the nature of the game into who can get the most stops, who can actually create missed shots. And as long as, and if, unless Portland can keep up with golden state, it, it becomes very difficult for Portland to have any chance of winning. And that's what really, really saw in the third quarter was despite the fact that Portland has got this big lead, they're not able to push it out to 20 points, 25 points to really kill the game and put it to bed because in that, and then when you see in the third quarter, they golden state just can fire off a of 15, 16 points and just goes crazy on, on these um, 15, 16 point differential in terms of these runs. Like it'll be like around like 21, 21 to three run or a 18, to five run they can just push these runs that they can just push force these runs into the game that happen over a two to three minute stretch and then all of a sudden golden state is right back into the game and it becomes fourth quarter who's going to get the stops and that's when you know that golden state has the advantage despite the fact that portland has done a great job in terms of getting here that one of the biggest issues is that they do not have the people that you need on a team in order to face up against golden state yes they have scores they have damian lillard who had 23 they had cj mccollum who had 22 in this in game two both of them were rather poor nearing the closeout but did make some shots here and there when it was sort of looking like it was just about to go out portland was able to get some, a couple points from there seth curry had 16 points Rodney hood had 12 points myers leonard hit had seven points in that game too. Maurice Harkless had 12 points. Alpha Rucamino had nine. So you had some 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 vague contributions from the bench from the from the um, auxiliary players on Portland to provide you with some with, with some with some offense and keep up with the opposing with the Golden State Warriors. However, the major problem that Portland had throughout that game two and came back up in game three was the inability to prevent to force golden state into difficult shots it seemed that whatever the golden state got into that high kicked it up a notch um pushed the ball up the court and started moving it around very quickly around the arc um and made making those extremely harsh cuts there was somehow some way portland would always miss the mismatch would always miss the switches would always miss would always find themselves into a mismatch situation that golden state could take advantage of it was really disappointing for me to see how portland was just completely lost on the defensive end uh, especially Myers Leonard not um, being lost out on rim protection on numerous occasions um, opposite of the fact that he would all he would actually be providing a good job on the offensive end and he ended up closing out the game because of the because of the three-point shooting that he provided um, stretching the uh, stretching the court and and compare comparatively to uh, Zach Collins who was fouling every single whiff it was getting fouls left, right, and center. And Ennis Cantor, who can't shoot for his life, despite the fact that he's a great rebounder, he can't defend either. So they, they really notice just how difficult it is for Portland to match up with this Gold, Golden State team in Game 2. And it became a major problem for them in that fourth quarter, especially when you have Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and these guys, and the bigs um, for Kevin Looney, even Jordan Bell providing a really big boost off the bench, 11 points in his 13 minutes, a really fantastic job by Jordan Bell, who's sort of coming into this, coming back into his own um, into the in this playoff series. Uh, it's really just difficult for me to see this Portland team. I, 
Portland team whom I had predicted will win uh, one to two games at least. I did not. I completely did not see a sweep coming. I was. I am completely wrong on that because I don't. Because now it, it really does look like a sweep might be coming, um, especially after seeing that game two, the uh, game three ending, just how demoralizing it was for the team. One of the things that we noticed in game two that was um, that I noticed at least that was going to be interesting to see whether or not it was going to be something that he could, he could heal from and come back from was Damian Lillard got uh, uh, Doba after a um, loose ball on his side of the court and Kevin Looney jumped them. Um, also dove and landed on top of him. The ball sort of smashed into the forcing the ball up into uh, Damian Lillard's ribs. We find out that after game three, it turns out that not play Damian Lillard after actually suffered a separated rib. So he's been dealing with that since that since, uh, since that moment. Now, whether or not this is just another case of oh the team is down, the team is about to eliminate. Let's let's release this story to find, to try and um, to mitigate um, the narrative on the star play on our star player choking. Let's because that does happen. I mean, obviously last year we saw when LeBron James came out came out with the cast on his right hand, and we felt I mean, out of nowhere thinking oh wait he broke his hand all of a sudden in that final series. So. It's it's a bit of a wish and wash, but on the other hand, also we actually did see this play happen right there, and we did see Damian Lillard have trouble when he got up. He was clutching his side, clutching his ribs, and he was having pain. Um, again, in that game two, that one though came down to the wire. Thank a lot. Thanks a lot in part, large part to the fact that the Portland Trailblazers were still able to find ways to score in that fourth quarter and keep up with the opposing with the Golden State Warriors um, better so than they did in Game Two um, in the in late on in the game. And obviously, it came down to the last play. Golden, Portland down by Portland down by three. Damian Lillard has the ball. Gets is is. is Playing with being faced up by some difficult by some physical defense from Andre Iguodala, um, does get his hand into the cookie jar and get and comes away with a steal. Just another example of just how important Andre is. I could have seen that the play could be called a foul in the regular season, maybe. But in that situation, no, 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 no. I, and I'm happy they didn't. Uh, some big shots being made in the fourth quarter by Seth Curry. A fantastic game from him. 16 points, 5 of 9, 4 of 7 from the field, and 4 steals. Really did a fantastic job, especially on the defensive end. I mean, not really known as a defensive player, but when you've played with Steph Curry your whole life, I guess Seth has an idea of what Steph's able to do, or what Steph's going to do, and he was able to catch him sleeping on a couple occasions um, with his dribble moves and able to catch him with these, like, when uh, Steph was able to get was switched on to Curry, and there a pick would come, a, a pick would come. Steph would then run around, run around it, or come, or fake and or fake the screen and just and let it or fake the screen and go the other way that it came from, and Seth from behind would try and tap it out as if he knows exactly where Steph is going to dribble the ball, which was exactly what it seemed like in the, a couple of times. Um, Rodney Hood also made some key threes. Really, in, that, in this game too, um, Portland really just had their one of their best shooting nights, 18 of 39 from the from the three point line as a team. Really did a fantastic job on that and kept their turnovers down. They only committed 13 turnovers compared to um, the 21 that they had committed in game one, which was a huge thing. They shot 44% from the field. It really looked like this was the game that Portland was going to win, except for the fact that they couldn't stop the Golden State Warriors from scoring inside the arc. They made them shoot 9 of 29 from the three-point line, 31%. That's that's 
that's, that's that's very good considering how the Golden State Warriors can be, especially when ten of those fourteen of those shots were from Curry and you made him miss ten of those. That's great. That is a plus. And Andre Iguodala did, made it was zero of three from downtown, so he missed the shots that he took, um, which was something that we didn't see from him earlier in the series when he was just on fire out of nowhere making shots, uh, making three point shots like as if he was a real shooter. One of the members of the Slash Brothers, but. In this game, what we noticed that was the inability to read the read the switches, read the cuts well, um, keeping keeping on letting easy buckets at the rim, easy buckets at the hoop, um, and it was just really disjointed defense from Portland, and really was if they were being eviscerated, especially when they even when they and Terry Stotts to his credit did try a few things. He tried Harkless at the center, he tried Myers Leonard in that near the end of the game. He experimented in this game compared to what he was in doing in previous games. So it wasn't like he wasn't trying, but he just got he just got eviscerated for the decisions he made just simply because this Portland team isn't equipped to defend this Golden State team. They don't have a stretch four that can shoot from the outside, provide some strength in the middle to grab rebounds or and and rim protect. They don't have that. They don't have the th- they don't have the small forwards that can shoot or defend small the smaller guards from the Warriors well or keep the Warriors off the boards outside of Evan Turner, who like that's your best defender essentially. Evan Turner is your best big guy perimeter defender that can keep his opponents off the boards and keep his opponents in front of him simply because he's a bigger player. They don't have fives that can defend smalls because Kevin because Enos Cantor can't move laterally very quickly. Zach Collins will commit fouls left, right, and center, and Myers Leonard is completely lost on the defensive end from their side on their side. And neither can they keep these guys such as Draymond Green, Kevin Looney, Jurepko, and Jonas Jurepko even off the rebounds because these guys are more agile, more active and while they are smaller the fact that golden state is getting these shots off from outside the arc that those allow the rebounds to the the rebound the ball when the miss when it misses to careen out further into like the three point closer to like the free throw line area the mid-range area 16 15 feet outside away from the rim so there it's not about height it's about can you get to the spot where it's coming to can you read that quickly and can you get that to that spot quick the quickest and that is all an, ag- an ag- agility and defensive awareness and offensive awareness. And that is what the Golden State, the Golden State Warriors, and their bigs have that. The Portland Trailblazers bigs necessarily do not have that in those moments, as we saw in the fourth quarter, and especially in the third quarter. And also for Golden, for Portland, their guards can't defend outside of six foot three uh, CJ McCollum. I mean, this team is really lacking the players that they need in order to defend against um, Golden State. When you compare them to a team like Houston, who has who uh, to, to a team like Houston who's competed against Golden State year and year and year they have the players that can do it they have PJ Tucker who can shoot threes and box out and and box out to some of the small the bigger guys and can also uh, defend some of the smaller guys on the perimeter they have some play, they have other they have Eric Gordon who as well can take jump shots a lot and also be a muscle be a muscle player they have Chris Paul that can defend against um Chris they, Chris Paul that can defend against Steph Curry and control him they have Clint Capella who's a decent rebounder in his a, in his name, maybe not as good as you would like him to be or expect him to be, but he's a bit, he's much more agile than you would compare to any. Uh, he's much more agile and defensively aware than any of the other players on on this Portland team. I really am seeing just a negative from Portland. I'm really questioning myself. Why did I even think that they were going to win one or two games? Um, 
I think that really I banked on the idea that CJ was CJ and Damian Lillard were gonna were gonna find themselves in the series at least one game where they catch fire and win that game. And really, that was game two. It seems like they both scored above twenty points. Twenty points. They both shot just above thirty five percent and made made more than three threes. I mean, in today's era of efficiency and percentages, we think of that as a terrible shooting night. We think of that. We think of thirty. 7% of the field is a terrible shooting night. But when you compare that to game two, game three, when both when both these players shot even worse, um, Damian Lillard shot 5 of 18 from the field. CJ McCollum shot 7 of 20 from the field. You compare that even to game one when they played eight, when they played equally as bad from the field. Um, both of these players, uh, CJ McCollum, 7 of 9, 7 of 19 from the field. Damian Lillard, 4 of 12 from the field. When you compare that to how they played in game two, you got to say they actually played pretty well in game two, and that was probably their chance. That was probably their chance to win the win a, to win a game to get back into the series. Um, in game three, we saw the same we saw the same exact story. Portland get up to a big lead, uh, 15, 16 points, but not able to push it out. Thanks, in fact, to the Golden State Warriors finding a way to just hold the defense the uh, Portland Trailblazers hold hold the Portland Trailblazers from getting that lead out to 30 points or out to 20 points out to 25 points and in the third quarter Golden State was able to come back mainly in large part to Draymond Green who had another fantastic performance 20 points uh, 13 rebounds 12 assists 4 steals a plus minus a 16 what this situation plus minus showing its per, showing its uh, showing its uh, quality nature and being actually accurate for showing true to what the actual game was that we were watching um a fantastic performance by Draymond Green making you especially considering how Andre Iguodala went out with the, in this game with an injury um only played 17 minutes was 0 of 3 from the three-point line only grab did grab five rebounds but was not able to really contribute in the way that he was in earlier games um you really started to question okay wait they're missing their best perimeter defender in Andre Iguodala that's the player that stopped the stop um on um, Damian Lillard from getting off what was possibly the game time three. Could this be the game that Portland comes back into this? Well, no, not at all. Because in the fourth quarter, the they had, the, the Portland Trailblazers had already been shut down in the third quarter. Only scored 13 points compared to the Warriors' 29. It was not at all like how in game three, that turn the turnaround was mainly based on the inability of the Warriors or the of the Blazers to stop the Warriors. They scored 39 points in that third quarter and and put up put 20 put up 24 themselves. The Blazers, um, not not in a single quarter in that game two or in that game one did the Golden State Warriors hold the Portland Trailblazers to less than 20 points. So it was really down to the fact that they were not able to stop the Warriors, not because the Portland was unable to score. Well, that was what happened in Game 3, because that was when the Warriors absolutely broke this Portland team. They eviscerated them in that third quarter, holding them to 13 points um, in that third. And really, you just saw when the, when the Warriors were able to push it out to like 6-7 points in the fourth quarter, just looked lost. They just the Portland Trailblazers just looked lost on the offensive and wondering what do we do? How do we get back into this game? How do we cut into this lead of this Warriors team that's playing at such a high level defensively that we're not able to get any open shots? CJ McCollum is not making is not making his. Um, Damian Lillard is playing injured and playing god awful from the field. Um, did make three of three three pointers on nine attempts. So uh, 
okay. And then you also have, when you get to the free throw line, you start missing your shots because your team is in general very nervous and lost offensively on how to attack, how to approach the situation. CJ McCollum, for all his positive work on the defensive end and did the fact lead the team in points, 23 points, 7 of 20 from the field, 2 of 10 from downtown, was 7 of 12 from the free throw line. Missed some key free throws near in the fourth quarter and you really got to put it down to nerves. Uh, Damian Lillard himself was 6 of 8 from the free throw line as well. The team in general, 20 of 33 for 60% from the free throw line. Again, they hold the turnovers down compared to how they were in game one. They actually reduced it down from what they were game two. The 11 turnovers in this game, they created nine steals. They grabbed even 10 rebounds and they made 11 35 the three point line. Not a great, not a great percentage of 31%, but it's better than what the Warriors shot in eight of 26 from the three point line. However, Warriors shot 20 of 23 from the free throw, from the free throw line. They created 27 assists. They created as well, nine turnovers and grabbed 49 rebounds on their side of the court. Um, did not grab as many offensive rebounds as the Portland Trailblazers, but when you shoot 48%, uh, 48.8% from the field, thanks in large part to another fantastic performance from Steph Curry, 11 of 26 from the field, Clay Thompson, 8 of 20 from the field, but that bench unit, the bench unit from the Warriors was really what, what was really what killed it compared to in the previous game, um, previous games, because not only did they score well, um, compared to, pre- not only did they score well, just like they did in the previous games, they also were doing it efficiently, more so than they were doing it in other, in games two and one. No one shot zero, no one shot below 50% from the field off the, coming off the bench. Kevin Looney, eight points, four or five from the field. Alfonso Kenny, McKinney, uh, five points, two of two from the field, one of one from downtown, nine rebounds, three of which are on the offensive end, a plus minus of 24, which is absolutely absurd for Alfonso McKinney coming in off the bench for playing 21 minutes in a game, in a game three of the, of the Western Conference Finals. Sean Livingston, six points, six, two of three from the field. Jordan Bell, six points, three of five from the field. Quinn Cook, six points, three of four from the field. I mean, you just rattle them off and you just notice each time, each one of these players coming in scoring, coming in scoring, that's what you'd get from a bench unit that is hungry to score and hungry for the to take over the opportunity that they've been handed to them by um, Steve Kerr. And you really got to give it hats off to him. It's a ballsy move to move out, to lose your star play and move lose one of your star players in Kevin Durant. I get that you have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andre Iguodala, these, these big stars in terms of championship experience and championship play i get that they have that but i just cannot commend more steve kerr for not only having the the complete will to just run with his bench and go to them but also continue but run but to continue them and let them play alfonso mckinney ended the game for this team um with andre iguodala out they ran with kevin looney throughout this game and played him um, and played him to 27 minutes i mean they really put they really you know, he's really done a good job of inv- invigorating and empowering his deep his bench players uh to really play up to the level that they need him to, they need them to be in order for them to get back in order for them to make everyone think oh they don't need kevin durant of course they fucking need kevin durant in order to play in order to play they can't play like this um in, in for most games against most defensive teams but because of how poorly portland is defensively it feels like a regular season game and in regular season games they can the gold state warriors can run quinn cook jordan bell and alfonso mckinney larger minutes they can play these guys because they're not going up they know and they know in their hearts and it's 
nothing to nothing of really it's not really a major knock or let's say a major insult to the to the Blazers. It's simply just a matter of fact that this that this Blazers team doesn't have the tools defensively to stop these the Warriors' offensive system from finding the often the open shots that they can that they are able to do and able to make. And when you find those offensive shots, those open shots, and when they're in the flow of the system, and when you have high confidence set and still by your other by your veteran leaders on the team such as Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala, Steph and Clay Thompson, I mean, and instilled by your uh, by your coaching staff of Steve Kerr, Mike Brown, other and Mike, and Mike Brown as well. Um, and you have this support system, it's gonna be it's gotta be so empowering. It's gotta be a plus five to your shooting numbers um, for these bench players. And so I really gotta give it a hats off to the Warriors um, for what they've done in these two games, just completely ruthless and not take their foot off the gas pedal. I really was impressed by how they played in game two, just didn't stomping on the neck of the Blazers and closing them out. I do not believe that the Blazers will be able to come to close it out to um really give the fans like uh, something to cheer for in game four. I I would like to see it. I would like to see the Blazers um, come away with the win in game four and come out hot again and hold the lead for once uh, in the third quarter. That'd be really nice to see. But I mean, back-to-back performances of having 15 plus leads at the half and just and just dropping it, just dropping it in that third quarter. It's got to be demoralizing, especially when you know that your star player is injured and the opposing team is this Warriors team, just how soul-crushing they are. It really does make me think that this Warriors team is gonna is gonna close the series out in Game Four in Portland and put a bet, put a put a rest to the series. All right, now moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, the other series that were that is going on um, between the Toronto Raptors and Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, game two was sort of a, a return to norm for the Milwaukee Bucks as they really got their offense going um, in, in total, and John and Giannis Antetokounmpo really dominated this game. 30 points, 10 of 20 from the field, 12 rebounds, uh, 17 rebounds, four of which offensive, five assists, two blocks as well, nine of 12 from the free throw line. Um, some of the other players coming in scoring in uh scoring and supporting um Ersan Ilyasova 17.711 from the field Malcolm Brogdon 14 points George Hill 13 points off the bench Chris Middleton continues to not really big uh, not really provide the offensive output that he's been so much in the regular season but because of the fact that he does so much in the defensive end you gotta think that he's wearing out a lot of his energy 12 points and they really didn't need it from him in this game too 12 points five of eight from the field nikola miritich as well 15 points five of ten from the field six rebounds for his work i mean a fantastic job from milwaukee to get their offensive get their offense side going versus um and really just strangle put a stranglehold on the toronto raptors who couldn't find any scoring outside of Kawhi leonard in this game too um he had 31 points ten of 18 in the field, seven, eight rebounds, two assists as well. But outside of him, it really wasn't going well for them. Um, Kyle Lowry, 15 points, 4 13 from the field. The only player outside of Kawhi Leonard to really get himself going off on the offensive end was Norman Powell, um, in an efficient way at least. Uh, 14 points, 6 of 9 from the field, 2 of 4 from downtown, 4 rebounds and 2 assists in his 24 minutes. But it really was just a diff- it was really a struggle on the offensive end for, Tor- for their side for Toronto. And Milwaukee. Milwaukee led the whole way through, had a 28-point lead um, at, 
at one point in the in the third quarter, early on in the third quarter, just never looked back. Um, really was pretty disappointing from the Raptors' point of view. Got you had to think to yourself, okay, maybe they can go home and reset themselves. Maybe this is their dud, and that does happen. That does happen where you do have a dud in the series, and you can come back and and can come back the next game and take over. And we thought that that was it's going to happen for, and that's what we thought was going to ha- we hoped for was going to happen for the Raptors. Um, but after seeing what happened to the Blazers in game three uh, it was starting to look like that the bucks were going to just close it out that the, maybe that the narrative was being set that okay both these series are just going to end in sweeps and we're going to wait for a week and a half before the finals are going to begin because the finals are actually set in stone to start on five on the 31st of may they will not be moved up no matter what happens so it was it was sort of looking like that so um, I was uh, listening to the Bill Simmons podcast earlier. He suggested that the NBA would not allow for um, the Bucks to close the series out in the sweep and allow for nine days of no basketball uh, <laughs> um, to occur. Uh, I feel like that's uh, maybe a little bit too <laughs> pessimistic in terms of the NBA's cheating and sca- and scandals and fouls. But I mean, in this in this game through in this game two. In game three, there were some questionable calls that went the Toronto Raptors' way. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo had some had major troubles in terms of uh, controlling his foul trouble, but on the offensive end from Giannis, you really got to say it's not down to his uh, him having is him having um, playing badly. It's more so down to the fact that the Raptors really stepped up defensively and really controlled this game um, in terms of football. And, not controlled this game, but in terms of controlled how Giannis was getting his shots. He was 5 of 16 from the field, did crab a fucking ridiculous 23 rebounds, three of which only were offensive, so he just an absolutely monster performance from him on the glass, but did commit eight turnovers next to his four blocks and seven assists, and did, com- and did foul out early on in that second overtime as this game went into double overtime as the Toronto Raptors, despite with Toronto Raptors winning 118 to 112, um, a fantastic game from Toronto on their side defensively. Um, Kawhi Leonard led the way off on the offensive side um, with 36 points, but a hats off really, really big hats off to Pascal Siakam and Marcus Gasol. These were two players that throughout the playoffs I've criticized for their inability to get going and provide them and provide the support to Kawhi Leonard that they needed to do and that they'd shown in the regular season, at least for Pascal's and uh, Pascal's case. Um, Marks, you can kind of um, give it to him because the fact that he's getting up there in age, he's getting up, he's not really, he's still only a half a season into this team, not really maybe as meshed well as well as some of the other players on this Toronto team, so I could live with Marc Gasol um, not having a fantastic standout perform any standout offensive performances in this in the playoffs. But really, I was really disappointed in how Pascal Siakam had played in this playoffs, not able to really push himself on the offensive side and insert himself, not able to get it going efficiently. Um, obviously, he's he in a similar sense how Middleton for the Milwaukee Bucks has not been able to get him going because a lot of the energy that he has to expend on the on the defensive end may have be draining him on the offensive end. And I know that Siakam. Is the one is doing is in that same sense, but in this game he did not care about how much effort he was putting on the defensive end. He put the same level on the offense, and really a fantastic performance by him. 25 points, nine of 18 from the field, two of five from the three-point line. Did miss two free throws in, in the fourth quarter that were cl- that could have really sealed the game and allowed the Milwaukee Bucks to come back into this. But considering his out his performance is 
outside of that, outside of that, you really got to say hats off to him and a good and a really um, a tip of the hat to him. And 11 rebounds as well, three steals and a block to boot. Marcus Gasol, for his work, made some very clutch, made some very clutch three-point shots in this game. 16 points is overall, 5 of 10 from the field, 4 of 8 from downtown, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 blocks. Fantastic points from Mark. And you really also just got to look at these two when they look at the minutes they play. 51 minutes from Pascal Siakam, only behind Kawhi Leonard's 52 ridiculous minutes in this game. Just running it. He really is proving that he is a robot. And especially when you consider Kyle Lowry fouled out halfway through the fourth quarter. That means that the Raptors were able to play about or forced to play about 16 game time minutes in that in the last six minutes of the fourth the first overtime and the second overtime without any point guards because because if you call fred bambley fred bambley a point guard in this game i i i gotta i gotta disagree with you mate 30 minutes one of 11 from the field one of eight from downtown really was poor on the offensive shooting side well it I, and to be his fair, the shots were open. The shots were there. Um, yes, it might be that the Milwaukee Bucks were allowing that to happen. That's what they wanted. That's who they. That's who they banked on to be the guy that, to beat them. Said, okay, if he's gonna, sh- he's gonna be the one to score and make the shots. If this Toronto Raptors team is gonna win, and he did not make his shots, and he also committed for uh, three turnovers. So then you might be asking the question, how was it that Milwaukee was able to lose this game despite the fact that they got they got Kyle Lowry out um, halfway through the third halfway through the fourth quarter? Fred Van Vliet, the player that they were targeting to make take the shots for Toronto in the in the overtime periods, did take the shots and did miss his shots. How was it that how was it that Toronto was able to win this game with Danny Green shooting one of nine from the three point line? Um, Yes, Pascal Siakam had a great game. Yes, Marcus Saul had a great game. Yes, even Norman Powell off the bench was fantastic, who also fouled out um, in the in that last overtime. 19 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 3 of 5 from the free, from the three-point line, 3 assists as well in his time. Um, yes, you had all these things working in Toronto's favor, but then you still got to ask, why is it the Milwaukee loss, considering that they were there, right there with them? Well, uh, Yes, Giannis fouled out and only scored 12 of 12 points, five of 16 from the field. But you look at this, you name all these factors, and you got to think: Wait, Milwaukee only lost by six and made it to double overtime. How did they get this far? Well, it really was down to the fact that their best players were off the bench. Uh, leading the way for the for the for the Milwaukee Bucks was George Hills, 24 points, seven of nine from the field, three of four from downtown, seven of eight from the free throw line, seven rebounds, two assists, two steals, a block, and only one turnover in his 36 minutes. Fantastic job, George Hill, off the bench. Malcolm Brogdon as well, 20 points, eight of 17 from the field, three of eight from downtown, five assists, two steals, two turnovers in his time in his 36 minutes um and also and to then in your next the score then is brooke, brooke lopez five of ten from the field three of seven from downtown good job in his in his time but really the real culprits of this game you gotta do down to is chris middleton a terrible performance and terrible decision making in this game from him which is so uncharacteristic for him three of 16 from the field for three points one of six from downtown took an egregious pull-up three in that in that second overtime that i could not understand why he took that shot because the time it wasn't even a a two-for-one situation it was just an egregious three-point shot that he took on late in the game to try tie it when it wasn't at all necessary eric bledsoe also a really poor performance from him 11 points three of 16 from the field as well as middle Middleton was one of six from downtown as well as Middleton was 
And both of these players, in a similar sense to how the Blazers um, missed some key free throws from their guards, both these players missed their free throws, as well, missed some free, key free throws as well. Eric Bledsoe, four of six from the free throw line. Chris Middleton, two of four from the free throw line. Both, well, at least in Middleton's sense, fantastic free throw shooter for his whole career in the in the playoffs, 40, 93% in this playoffs itself, and he misses two very cl very clutch um, free throws. Both of them combined for eight turnovers as well. Five for Bledsoe, three for Middleton. And when you combine them with the eight turnovers from Giannis it makes it makes sense then why that this team was not able to control the play not able to control them play their play well committed 20 turnovers in total compared to the Raptors 17 as well so all they also really doing a poor job controlling the ball both teams shot below 40 percent and you really um, 37% for the Milwaukee Bucks and 39 for Toronto, and this was the really the built the built the uh, blueprint for how Toronto is going to win. They got to make it a smash mouth a smash mouth game. They really got to try and hold down Milwaukee. I spoke about this before that I really did not think that Toronto was going to be able to hold Milwaukee to below 100 points in a game. I really did not think that. Well, if you look at it at the end of regulation, Milwaukee was it was tied 96-96 at the end of regulation and going to overtime. Toronto. Makes one, if Toronto has Kyle Lowry in this game, if he does not foul out halfway through the fourth quarter, you got to think Toronto wins this game with holding well, by, and still holding the Milwaukee Bucks to under, under 100 points, something that a lot of people did not think was possible considering how Milwaukee had been so dominant through the first two rounds and so dominant in games one and two on the offensive end, despite the fact that they played terribly in games in game one of this round of this series and in Milwaukee and against the um, Boston Celtics. They found ways to either win in game, at least in the Toronto sense, and they found ways to still get in, still get around to 100 points in the Boston game, despite the fact that they lost that game because of the defensive struggles on their side. Um, you really thought that the game one struggles that Milwaukee had in this series um, on the offensive side was not going to come back again. It was just another case of having too much rest. Well, no, you got to really give it a hats off to Toronto, a really big hats off to them and their defensive pressure, really ratcheting it up to the next level and playing up to the level that you need to in order to win a series at in the conference finals uh, i'm excited for how this game three is uh, or how this game four is going to go on tuesday night in toronto i'm excited for this game because now the pressure is on Giannis to really um take over the series and take over this next game four after sitting out in that last um overtime for the last four minutes of that over of the second overtime against the Toronto Raptors last night in game three um re he had to watch, sit there and watch as his team squandered away all their hard work throughout the game to try and bring the lead back down and tie the game up Toronto leading the way for most of this game but to come to, to lose but to lose it when the game was right there in their hands um for Milwaukee to have it right to have it right there to have a lead in that second overtime as well um, and to lose the game was really heartbreaking for that team at, and at least for Giannis to watch in front of him when he knows that he can't do anything about it he can't stop he can't stop because he's already found out he couldn't control himself on his side of the court now you really got to think that the game for Giannis is going to come out guns blazing and really try and take it even more so to uh, really enforce himself onto and onto Toronto and on the off on Milwaukee's offensive side of the game and it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not Kawhi and Pascal Siakam and the rest of the this Toronto team can find a way to stop them all right that's going to do it for this episode of the top of the key my name is Kenneth Minogue and until next time deuces let's go